How's everybody doing? If you can hear me, what do clap three times? Is that what kids do or something like? There you go. I would. That was more. That was more than three. Well, good morning. Welcome to Next Gen Sunday. Um, it's an exciting day. Our kids, our students, have already taught Sunday school. Um, so I was able to kind of walk around and sit in on, on one class, and I've already had multiple people compliment our students. So uh, give a shout out to our students for teaching Sunday school, will you? All right, so this morning's going to look a little bit different. Um, our students are going to lead our praise team. We have baptism. We have a children's sermon at some point. Uh, one of our students is going to lead that, but we're going to start. Uh, with our praise makers, and so they have a mini musical, um, and so this is Next Gen Sunday, so we're excited about that. So give it up for the praise makers as they present Heaven's Kitchen. as I cook up a sweet song of
lips. Really? I thought we all just needed to follow the recipe. Why is this sweet praise necessary? In heaven's kitchen, whatever you cook, whatever you do, the most important ingredient and attitude is praise, no matter how hard or hot things get. Well, I always say if it's too hot, just get out of the kitchen. <laughs> well, sometimes, Farley, you just can't get out. <laughs> That's right. But praise is still the most important ingredient. It can change the situation. Well, there's a great story in the Bible about praise. In the book of Acts, we read about Paul and Silas. They were thrown in prison for teaching people about Jesus. There were guards everywhere. They couldn't get out. But when they offered up a sweet song of praise, that's when things really started cooking.
They knew the Lord would always hear them and answer them. They trusted him as their good shepherd. They knew he would guide them, protect them, and get this, even prepare a feast before them. Could you imagine the food the good shepherd would prepare? I'm sure it would be seasoned with a lot of love. <laughs> now you're cooking, Ben. And like Paul and Silas, praise can change and sweeten any situation. And finally, I'm going to learn to trust the Good Shepherd to guide and provide my life. Chefs, remember our, fo our soul food scripture for the day? Fruit of the Spirit. 
evidence of a life rooted and growing in Christ. That wraps up today's Heaven's Kitchen. Junior chefs, start us off with another sweet song of praise. If you will, give it up for all of our adults who help. I'm not going to mention names because I'll forget. But We have some incredible talent up here. They all did an exceptional job with their speaking lines and singing. But if you've heard the actual CD, can we give it up for Everett? Because he did an incredible job of actually sounding like the guy. Welcome to Northside Baptist Church. Uh, we're going to do a time of welcome in a second. The time of welcome and shaking hands is going to be a little bit longer than normal because we have to do some transitioning and get ready for some stuff. So 
Um, we're glad that you're here. So if you'll stand and welcome those around you. Hello, hello. Good morning, Northside. You can take your seats, please. And if all of our children can come to the stage, Potter Lucas is going to read our children's story. 
After that, he's going to pray, and then we'll lead into our baptism. Man, we have a lot of kids. Kids, good morning. We're on be in uh, chapter, or we're doing chapter seven. The title of it is called "Let's Make a Deal." It's talking about Genesis fifteen and seventeen. Years later, God still has all those promises, but Abram still had no son, and he was starting to wonder if God had moved on to to Plan B. Even though the promises were getting harder to believe, Ab- Abram didn't give up on God. In fact, he did the most important thing anyone could ever do. Abram believed God, and God counted it to him as righteousness, which is another way of saying God's handing out A-pluses just for taking him at his word. One time, Abram had a scary dream. Have we all had scary dreams? It was a dream about smoke and fire passing through a bunch of dead animals. We're, I know, but people back then used dead animals to make a deal. It was called cutting a covenant. Whoever walked through the animals was promising to keep the end of his bargain or else be torn apart like cut up goats and cows. You can see why this was a scary dream. And yet it was also a wonderful dream because the smoking Fire represented God walking through the animal guts. God guaranteed on his own life that he would do it for Abram, all the good things that he had promised. Sounds stupendous, and it was. God's promises always are, but they don't always come as soon as we'd like. When Abram turned 90, Nine years old, he did not have great-grandchildren to celebrate with him or grandkids or kids of his own, not a one. He probably didn't even have a pet goldfish, but that didn't stop God from making more promises. I'll give you a son. I'll make you a great nation. I'll give you land. I'll be a God to your, you and your people or children. God gave Abram a special sign called circumcision so that his family would know they were chosen and loved. God even changed Abram's name to Abraham, which means father of many nations, just so Abram wouldn't forget that he would be, well, a father of many nations. But truth be told, Abraham and Sarah weren't so sure the new name really fit. Would they actually have a son when they were old enough to be dead? God knew they would, and so he kept telling the old couple the same thing over and over, the one thing they needed to hear, and the one thing we have a hard time hearing, just trust me. All right, let's pray. Oh God, help us to believe your word, and help us to be patient when we aren't sure what's going on or what to do. Amen. back to their seat. I can't think of a better thing to do on Next Gen Sunday than to baptize one of our students. So we're going to do that.
So this is Kai, and Kai, several months ago, had an opportunity. We met in my office, and she wanted to follow the Lord Jesus in baptism, and so we talked about what that looked like, that we don't get baptized just to get baptized, but it's because we made a profession of faith in Jesus Christ. And so she's coming to share that with you and to express that. But before we do that, I know we have some friends and family uh, that may be here to celebrate in this big day. So would you please stand if you're here to celebrate with Miss Kai? All right. Thank you all. And I know you've got a lot of people who have taught you over the years and have just loved you and, and they're excited about this day. So I have one question for you. Kai, do you believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and Lord and Savior of your life? Yes. Amen. Amen. All right. And based upon that profession of faith, I baptize you, my sister, in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Buried in Christ, raised to walk in the of At this time, one of our students, Grayson, is going to lead us in prayer. Dear God, thank you for this day. Thank you for allowing us to come out on this wonderful day. And uh, let our students lead a day of worship. And I pray that we have a wonderful week and a, uh, and a safe Sunday. And that will allow our hearts to um, open up to the message today. Amen. Good morning, everyone. You can all stand with us so we can worship the Lord this morning. Shout out your praise. 
Timothy, my dear son, be strong with the special favor God gives you in Christ Jesus. You have heard me teach many things that have been confirmed by many reliable witnesses. Teach these great truths to trustworthy people who are able to pass them on to others. If you can hear me, there you go. Each week I have the privilege of being able to um, sit with them, play ball with them, pray with them. Um, I mean, this is a wild ride for me. And I don't mean that in any way negatively. I mean that positively. God has grown me and our grace continues to grow me. So this is not for the parents, but for you students. Uh, Love, appreciate you all. Uh, things are tricky at moments, but that's okay. And for those of you that are wondering, I just forgot, our younger class for Children's Church, please make your way. <laughs> so if you have younger kids, there you go. But if you have your Bible, as Elijah just read from 2 Timothy chapter 2, that's where we're going to camp out this morning. I find that there is a, a persistent temptation in my life. Uh, it is a temptation to just finish my own race. As a Christian, often you are faced with faithfulness. And so when you hear me say, I'm tempted to finish just my own race, you may say, well, that's good. That's right. It's biblical. In fact, I think Paul wrote about it. And I'll say, yes. I mean, he wrote, I just want to finish the race. I don't want to be disqualified. I want to be found faithful to the end. You've heard it. You've read it. You know the verses. Which is well and good. Except if the understanding of faithfulness to the gospel is limited to and concerning only me, my life, my 30 and odd score years of life, if you think faithfulness is just limited to you, I don't think that is what the gospel calls us to. With the challenges and the weight of ministry with life, sometimes I can be reduced to praying this prayer. Lord, just help me to be faithful to the end. But on the flip side of that temptation is the simple fact that it is very hard to be passionate and to maintain passion for the future. A lot of you, I know uh, three people in this room in the next couple of months, they're going to realize that future. They're going to go off to college. They're going to realize 
a life that they've been planning on and they've been studying for and they're about to go get it. But how many of us have a passion or maintain a passion for, our, for the future? Especially if the future is beyond our sight, beyond our life. It's easy for me to be passionate about my children's well-being. I'm thinking about this day, this week, this month, this year, and I can think through plans and come to ideas of how my children are going to be taken care of, what their future is going to be, and I can think only so far. And it's easy for me to not just extend it to my children, but my children's children. But for, but for how many generations out can you, can I, maintain that passion? For me, it's hard to go beyond three generations. To just logically think through it. Without falling into some kind of an abstraction. And I share this illustration that there is a difficulty even in our understanding of something as good as gospel faithfulness. In holding a future clearly and rightly in our minds. See, this can contribute to a tendency to define faithfulness, gospel faithfulness, too much in terms of our own tenure, our own life. And we tend to think about that. I do it. When I pray, I think specifically only in my lifetime block. So let me state it in a positive way. Necessary to our faithful gospel ministry is an investment in the gospel ministry that will come after ours. So that's why we lay our eyes on 2 Timothy chapter 2. Now Elijah read verses 1 and 2 of chapter 2. And some of you know this. You've memorized it. This is, this is the, the missions, for many people, the missions emblem. You take the gospel, you serve it to a disciple, you make, you disciple, you teach, and they are to carry it on to others. But let's go back. 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 14. and says, guard the good deposit entrusted to you, Paul says to Timothy. And then in a, ver a, verse, a few verses later, picking up some of that language, he tells Timothy, as part of guarding, in chapter 2, verses 1 and 2, as part of guarding, he says, entrust to faithful men what has been entrusted to him. And part of that entrusting is teaching them to pass the same thing on to others. So Paul is telling Timothy that an essential part of faithful gospel ministry is the investment in the next generation. No one of you, if you're a Christian in here, are exempt from that. We are all part of that. This is not some optional addition. In other words, when Paul tells Timothy to guard the gospel, he's not just calling Timothy to protect the integrity of the gospel from the effects of false teachers, which is what he did, but he's also calling Timothy to fight 
to preserve the continuation of the gospel against the effects of the erosion of time. You've all played that game. Telephone. Everybody's sitting around. And you've got a message. And the first person starts with that message. And their message goes around and around. And their last person gets it. And the message is mumbled up, just different. That happens. So let me say it again. Essential to our faithfulness in gospel ministry is this investment in a succeeding generation of gospel workers. And you might think, am I just talking about preparing the next rounds of gospel preachers like Pastor Aaron? Yes, and more. Am I talking about missionaries? Yes, and more. I'm talking about Christian fathers, mothers, teachers, police officers, congressmen, congresswomen, you name it. But let us beware, you don't have to turn there, but 2 Kings chapter 18 introduces us to a, a king of Judah who had a very, very difficult day of it as king. He was a very good king. I want us, in light of looking to the next generation, helping them out, is to beware of what is called the Hezekiah syndrome. And I believe the greatest challenge to this is what I might call my lifetime tendency, where we tend to think, work hard on, invest in only my lifetime. So we're introduced. You don't need to turn there. I'm going to give you a summation of this life of this king, but it's, it's found in the bounds of 2 Kings 18, chapters 18 through 20, and the rest of the account is 2 Chronicles 29 through 32. But this is what it is. I mean, you might remember the story, but Hezekiah is the king of Judah. There's another king who's about to come and attack Judah. He's the king of the Assyrians. His name is Sennacherib. It's a great name, Sennacherib. And Sennacherib comes out to attack. But Hezekiah, with Isaiah's help, prays. Prays deeply, asking God to help him deliver his people. And with prayer, victory for Judah prevails. Hezekiah, however, in the story, he gets sick. You've heard this. And he's instructed by Isaiah to get his house in order. So Hezekiah cries out to God and he's granted how many years? 15 years. And upon hearing of this, another king asks, can I come and visit? So a king from Babylon sends an envoy to congratulate Hezekiah on his great recovery. And so he comes over. This king of Babylon's envoy comes over. And Hezekiah in his pride because that is what it is, in his pride, shows these Babylonian men the national treasures of Judah. And some of you might think, well, what's the big deal? So the, those men from Babylon leave. Isaiah asks Hezekiah, what went on? So Isaiah asks for the report. Hezekiah tells Isaiah what he did. In response, Isaiah predicts, predicts the coming 
of the Babylonian captivity right then and there. And then this, in 2 Kings chapter 20, verse 19. This is what Hezekiah says to Isaiah. The word of the Lord that you have spoken is good. For he thought, there will be peace and security in my lifetime. That's what he says. What makes this account even more compelling, sobering, as a warning to us, is the fact that Hezekiah was an extremely influential king. If you go to 2 Chronicles, you'll see what he did. He cleansed the temple. He restored temple worship. He reinstated Passover. He reorganized the priesthood. He was a good king when it comes to the history of their kings. He made an impressive contribution as king. But then there is the episode late in his life, specifically this one, which betrays both his pride. Despite all his zeal, there was an absence of zeal for what happened after he passed off the scene. So I want us to avoid, as a principle for this, I would love for us to avoid temporal short-sightedness. Now, 2020, for many of you, was a very memorable year. But besides that, it was a very memorable year because that was the first time my wife got me to the eye doctor to get glasses. For the first time in my life, I got glasses. The first time in my life, I realized if I didn't have my glasses at certain points, life became very hard. And so when I looked through my glasses, things were so much better. Driving, easy. My eyes, for some reason, didn't water. I don't know. Doctor could tell you why and what and all of that. But I could see. I could concentrate. There's an old Puritan uh, pastor. His name is Richard Baxter. And he wrote a book called The Reformed Pastor. And he writes this. When it comes to addressing short-sightedness, he writes this. If you will glorify God in your lives, you must be chiefly intent upon the public good and the spreading of the gospel through the word. And we all say, amen. However, Baxter says, a private, narrow soul, always taken up about itself, that sees not how things go in the world, its desires and prayers and endeavors go no further than they can see or travel. You see, Baxter here is talking about people geographically. They were only concerned with their neck of the woods, what they were doing there. But we might also be guilty of temporal short-sightedness. And that was Hezekiah's case. So Baxter called his readers to just be the opposite. He tells them to have a largeness of soul when it comes to thinking about the future. He says, a largeness of soul that beholds all the earth and desires to know how it goes with the cause and with the servants of the Lord. So Paul's words in 2 Timothy call us to the very same thing, but looking out into the future. And I don't mean three generations. I mean beyond that. And you might be asking me, 
How do we do that? That's hard. Thinking about this, it's hard. Because it takes a concerted effort to think that far ahead, to plan that far ahead. Pastor Aaron and I sitting in a meeting and we're trying to plan things out just for the next couple of months. That's hard. But thinking for the next six generations ahead. So how will it go with the cause? And what can I do, what can we do to push this cause into the future? Let us not be content to simply say, as long as all is well in my lifetime. We need to cultivate a far-sighted vision. Now, by the way, my sight has improved because of my glasses, and I'm grateful. I'm grateful for the fact that I have two sets of glasses, just in case I forget the one. And that has happened. But in contrast to Hezekiah, we see Paul writing to Timothy, and he's giving him wonderful wisdom. I want you to understand, Paul's writing this letter when Paul is about to leave. And I don't just mean leave the state. He's about to leave. He's about to go home to be with the Lord. And he's writing to young Timothy about what's to come. And so now he's asking Timothy to think a certain way about gospel ministry. And he's asking Timothy to train the next generation to think this way about the gospel. And God is asking us through this letter, through these principles, to understand that it is necessary, necessary to faithful gospel ministry to invest in the next generation of gospel workers. So this should translate into very concrete realities into our weekly lives. See, this is the responsibility of Northside Baptist Church that we share corporately, but it will require an investment of time, energy, and purpose. Everything pouring in. And by the way, for those of you older, younger folks out there, I'm not discounting you. I am saying you are part of that. It is not just looking at these young faces up here and saying, it's only them that we need to pour into. It is everything. Invest time, energy, and purpose. So what will this look like? Well, I've got four possibilities. First, devote yourself to faithful gospel ministry, especially the ministry of the word. But I've told the, the students, and some of you take it, some of you don't, that's fine. But if at all you concentrate during a Sunday, I would love for you to concentrate on Pastor Aaron preaching. You may discount your Sunday school teachers. You may discount your youth pastor when he prays or says an announcement that he hopes you remember. But he wants you to listen to the word. I call Sunday morning sermons, I call that Thanksgiving. Everybody's so excited for Thanksgiving, for that meal. Your pastor prepares sermons like that Thanksgiving meal for every Sunday. So please keep that in mind. But 
You need, we need to devote ourselves to discipleship. I don't just mean older to younger within the bounds of the church. I'm talking about parents to their children, grandparents to their grandchildren, Sunday school teachers, Bible studies, Awana, student ministries. The best way to train Christians to faithfully work the gospel is to faithfully come under the preaching of God's word. Second, pay attention to young men and women of various ages in the congregation. So I ask you right now, even if it's going to be weird, look around. See these young faces. See who they are. Speak to them. Have an occasion at the end of the service, on a Wednesday, on a Sunday evening, to seek them out. Notice how they receive the preaching of God's word. Ask them what they're learning in Sunday school, on a Sunday evening. Notice how they process the preaching and teaching. Ask them questions. Notice any deepening affections for God and his word. Notice it. Keep your eyes open. That might be, duh, but that is what it is. You need to be keeping your eyes open. Is that the responsibility of myself and Pastor Aaron? Absolutely. Is it just for us? Absolutely not. It is for the whole body to be pouring into the life of the next generation. And by the way, if you think that you have enough time to do that, you don't. For a couple of years, you have these students. And some of these students, by God's grace, stay. But for some of these students, they go. And by God's grace, they plug into a church. And by God's grace, they thrive. But you have an opportunity now to pour into young men and women. Third, create context for the young people who catch your eye to practice and grow in the handling of your word. We got that today. Next Gen Sunday, with Sunday school, you had a couple of these students teaching. And Lord willing, in the coming years, these older students will have graduated and these younger students will step into that specific position to teach. Fourth, and this must not go unsaid, and you might be thinking, pray very specifically for God to raise up the next generation of Christian workers. This is going to sound weird. Pray for your replacement. Well, what do I need to be replaced for? Well, some of you greet people at the front door. You're not going to do that forever. Include them. Encourage them. Some of you are in the sound booth, and some of you might be looking. Who's in the sound booth? Because Mr. Tripp's there. Mr. Steve's there. Who's in there? Well, we have two young men there very capable of doing this. Pray for your replacement. But pray also for more than that. Pray with an eye. Pray with a heart toward the future and the continuing success of the gospel in this world until Christ comes. Well, that's me. Let me pray. And then we can have our praise team come up.
Lord, I pray that the truth that has been entrusted to us and the lessons we have learned will not be hidden from the next generation. Would you grant us every grace we need to make known to our children, even the children yet unborn, the path that leads to life? Make us a generation, Lord, of parents, of educators, Lord, even in this world of content creators, Lord, make us a generation, Lord, who will teach them your ways, how to walk according to the truth, so that they might set their hope and confidence in you and not forget your works. Lord, help the next generation lay aside every hindrance and sin which easily, Lord, easily entangles so that they may run the race that you have set before them, holding fast to hope, holding firm their confidence until that day when your kingdom comes in all its glory and truth. Once and for all, all triumphs over sin and death and mourning and tears and all that hinders the everlasting joy that is ours through Jesus Christ. And all God's children says, Amen.
All right, y'all can be seated for just a moment. I want to uh, just make a connection here very quickly between what Pastor Gary PG said and then our kids and the praise makers. So, you know, Gary was talking about us entrusting, right, the word to the next generation, teaching them and, and raising them up. But it goes on to say in verse 3 of that same chapter, share in suffering as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. Brothers and sisters, I think it is vital that when we share the gospel and we live out the gospel to the next generation, they must clearly understand that following Christ means there will be sufferings in your life. And I feel at times we have failed to entrust that. We see people go off to school and maybe they'll follow God when everything is good in their life. But the second something turns and goes sour, they neglect God. But what did our kids teach us? Even in the hardest, darkest moments, if we offer up a, a prayer of praise, that we praise God, even in those difficult times, it changes everything. So grandparents, parents, life is difficult. We're living in some challenging times. It would be easy for us to complain and moan and gripe about all that's going on around us. But that doesn't point our kids to the hope that's in Jesus Christ. So let's keep pointing them to Jesus. Might I hope you were blessed today uh, on Next Gen um, Sunday. Let's give it up for our students one more time. All right, so um, Next Gen Sunday is not over. This was just the appetizer in the main meal. But we still got desserts later tonight, right? So cake auction is tonight. So let me just explain. If maybe if you're new, you haven't been a part of cake auction, or maybe you haven't come in the past for a variety of reasons. So the cake auction starts at 6 o'clock tonight. That is for, we're raising money for our kids to go to camp. Uh, I believe there's six of them going to camp, or eight, I can't, six, I think a total of eight. And then we have 18, I think, students going to camp. So we have a lot of kids and students going to camp. So you come, the cake auction, number one, it's fun. A lot of laughing, good times. Uh, the desserts are incredible. But I just want to, to make this clear. Um, some of these desserts, if you've been a part of it, they go for 75 100 a couple hundred dollars sometimes. And if you've been there or you've heard that, maybe you're thinking, I don't have $100 to bid on a cake. That's okay. We still want you to come. Because last year and this year, we're trying to really emphasize some tables where you can get individual items. Everything on that table will be under $25. So you don't have to bid or raise your cowboy hat to try to get a big, big ticket item. And if you're like, what's the cowboy hat? You got to come tonight and you'll see. Um, you don't have to get a big ticket item. Just come. Just go check out that table. You may want to get there right at 6 or a few minutes early before a lot of the good things are gone. Just help our kids out that way. Every dollar that you give uh, makes a difference. And it's just a good time to fellowship um, and to pray for and over and, and all that good stuff for our students. So that's at 6 o'clock. Don't forget to be here for that. One last thing. If you are planning to go with the seniors to the Coweta County Fairground on May 11th, in bold, it says that you need to sign up today. Please, if you are going, stop by the sign-up and sign up because they have to have a count as to how many people are coming. So don't just show up that day. We need you to know. And if you're like me, you're going to forget at about a minute. So just keep saying, sign up, sign up, sign up. Uh, don't forget to sign up. All right, we're going to conclude our service. Uh, Sean is coming, um, and he's going to read our benediction for us. So if you will stand, and after Sean reads the benediction, our service will be uh, concluded.
If I screw up a few words, don't be mad, please. Now may the God of peace, whom through the blood of the eternal covenant brought back from the dead, our Lord Jesus, that great shepherd of the sheep, the shepherd of the sheep, equip you with everything good for doing his will. May he he work in us what is pleasing to him, through Jesus Christ, to whom he, he... be glory for every forever and ever amen